Welcome to the CompTIA BizTech Podcast, where we talk with industry leaders across our communities and councils to discuss business challenges, opportunities, and strategies for success. So who is your favorite James Bond actor? We lost mine this past year on Halloween, my birthday, by the way, when Sean Connery passed away. In the 007 Bond movies from the Sean Connery era, one of the nice things was the, the bad guys had names and faces and elaborate hidden evil layers. And you could always find, you know, the physical bad thing, the bomb or the nuke or the stolen diamonds or whatever, because they were all physical things. But the real world, and I would expect 007 soon, although it really hasn't yet, you know, has moved into, you know, bad guys that are much harder to kind of get your hands around and to see and touch. And the bad guys are, are much more, you know, in the digital world, if you will. Yet that world uh, is so much scarier in many aspects than, you know, the typical Bond villain. Uh, international foreign states and bad actors and Russian hackers and international espionage, you know, all those things are very, very scary stuff. And we're going to dive into some of that today. My name is Gary Bixler, and this is your BizTech podcast. Our podcast today is brought to you by our CompTIA IT security community, led by Mr. Miles Jobjian. Welcome in, Miles. Thanks, Gary. So good to have you. Good to, to talk as always. And this is another fantastic episode. Uh, before we kind of dive in, uh, are you a Bond fan? You know, um, to some degree, yes. You know, I grew up with uh, with Roger Moore, of course. So a slightly different uh, take on, on the character. Um, yeah. I still love the Connery ones, of course. But uh, there's a special place for seeing Roger Moore running around in, in bad clown costumes, setting off bombs and things. That yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm definitely a Bond fan, also a car guy. I've always, it's always interesting to see the cars that show up in those, in those films and uh, some beautiful uh, machinery as well. So that's, that's exciting. But this is, uh, you know, this topic today is, is kind of takes, you know, that espionage into the real world. As I said, it's, it's a really kind of a scary thing. So it, it's an early look at the impact of, of one of the scariest episodes that we've had in our history uh, and cyber attack, and what I think many will, you know, begin to call kind of, you know, international espionage incident. And it's great to see how you're able to bring four guests together that can kind of provide those four different perspectives, which is kind of cool. And so I'm excited to hear it. Uh, so I'm going to turn it back over to you now, Miles, and why don't you introduce us to the uh, session? Since an update in March and well into December 2020. Russian actors have had an unknown amount of access to significant government and enterprise networks. According to reports from several news outlets, U.S. departments of state, commerce, treasury, and homeland security were all exposed to this malware. Beyond that, National Health Institute, National Security Administration, other nuclear programs, state and local governments all appear to have been targeted. So all told, we're looking at over 18,000 customers immediately impacted. Proper actions, of course, have been taken to disengage and quarantine from the malware. And it all, of course, should be noted, we still don't know if anything has been stolen or scraped or anything like that. But given the amount of time and the depth of the solicit access, it's pretty safe to say that some amount of knowledge was gained. On December 18th of 2020, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, 
On December 18th, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo attributed the hack pretty clearly to Russia. Following on January 5th, the FBI, NSA, CISA, and ODNI released a joint statement also putting the blame to Russia. Government officials throughout this whole time have been cited on various you know, quotes of, of Russia being responsible for this campaign. So this is important because this is an accusation that a nation state is taking direct cyber espionage activities on another nation state. This is not simply hackers. So lastly, to start our stage, because it's not a big enough knot, we also know how this malware was introduced through a supply chain attack. The SIM used to create a product system update was accessed. And as a result, that malware would be included in a legitimate update. On the managed services side, we've seen things like this, of course, right? And we've seen the progression of malware attacks up the supply chain from end users to us as service providers and up the, to our tools. And the same evolution now is happening on this global scale. So to talk about what all of this means, and, and I do wish you good luck, I'm thrilled to bring in four different points of view. MJ Shore, Senior Vice President and Executive Director of the CompTIA Information Sharing and Analysis and Organization. Vince Chrysler, founder and CEO of Dark Cube, to partner with for MSP Security Solutions. Kevin McDonald, COO and CISO of Elvaca Networks, a network services and security solutions provider. And Corey Kirkendall, President and CEO of 5K Technologies. Excuse me, 5K Technical. And Corey Kirkendall, President and CEO of 5K Technical Services, a managed services provider out of Texas. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for being here. Um, MJ, I think I'd like to, to have you kick it off if you could. So um, that was a mouthful. We got a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great job setting the stage, Miles. Well, you know, so what do we, uh, what can we take from this? You know, just as, as we kind of survey the, the dust, I mean, it hasn't even settled yet, but sure. what, what do you see right now? Well, there, there's a lot to be seen, but I, I think, you know, maybe more so there's a lot that wasn't seen. And, and so for me, the big thing is, as this has evolved and as I've looked at this and as the ISAOs looked at, at threats globally, um, this really isn't a hack. Um, I think I think hack is a is a misplaced term for this. This this was an espionage operation, and it was one that took place across public, private, and academic network infrastructures. So it was, you know, while this isn't my area of expertise, it has all the hallmarks of a pretty traditional um, information gathering espionage operation. Certainly, as I looked at some of the targeted entities, um, I think there's some triangulation there that we don't understand whether it was you know, looking for specific information, information about certain individuals or certain programs. Um, there, there's certainly some fallout that that's starting to look more um, traditional, if you will. For example, there was a, uh, we posted an, a bulletin update to the, to the ISAO today about a, um, a fake, well, not a fake, but a, a, a website that's purporting to represent the leaks from this. Now, no leaks have actually been confirmed. But this website is purporting to have certain pieces of Microsoft source code, Cisco source code, other information. Now, Cisco's come right out and denied it and said, now there's absolutely no evidence that this was taken. So, you know, we could have some copycat stuff going on here. But at its core, um, 
you know, I go back to, to, to CompTIA's ChannelCon event two years ago and, and former FBI agent Eric O'Neill spoke. He wrote the book Gray Day about the, the sting to capture Robert Hansen, who in his book he contends was the world's first cyber spy. He had a really great line. There are no hackers, only spies. And I think we're actually seeing that here. And, and I, don't, I don't believe that the broader business community really understands how to address that. And, and for me, um, certainly from what I'm doing, but also what I heard a CNBC analyst say um, just a few days after this all came to light, you know, we've got to get away from this notion of cyber shaming organizations that come forward and say, we think something's not right here. We think we're seeing something that could be malicious in nature. We've got to, we've got to reward and praise and, and put up on a pedestal those organizations that step forward. And we've got to share that information because guess what? Bad guys are sharing the information really well. <laughs> That's partly why they're so successful. It's time Absolutely. we start sharing information and, and take some of that stigma away because maybe, just maybe, if there had been enough people stepping up and saying, we think we see something going on here, we're not quite sure what it is, if enough people started to look for that, would that have created enough friction to get these bad actors to push back from the table and not sit as long as they sat in all of these networks? Maybe, but it, it, it's something we need to talk about. I think, it, I think it represents a potential inflection point and a pivot in the paradigm and the ways we look at threat, threats like this. If this really is, and it certainly appears to be, the Russian state attacking the United States, there's no technology in the world we're going to be able to throw to stop that. So we've got to find other ways to do it. And I think um, I'm really looking forward to hearing hearing what what Vince, Kevin, and, and Corey have to say because I, I think there's I think there's just a, an opportunity here to to change some some thought processes and methodologies for the better. Thanks, MJ. You know, I, I appreciate that, you know, you're, you're defining a nice couple of veins that we can dig into in this conversation. That's great. Um, Vince, let's, let's, uh, let's take it from your side. I know that uh, you've seen many a thing <laughs> in your time. So uh, what do you got for us? Yeah, I think, you know, to echo what MJ said, I think one of the worst things we can do is treat this as a hack. Um, you know, people are becoming numb to the idea of a hack. People are becoming numb to the idea of data breaches. You know, it used to be a data breach uh, was a big deal and started to affect the stock price of companies. And now I, I'm not even sure that's true anymore, just because we're seeing them so often. You know, what we had here is, is again, not something new, but it's a supply chain attack. Um, and going back to you know when I was supporting the White House as the CISO back in 2007, 2008, there was this big initiative launched by the Bush administration at, at the time called the Comprehensive National Cybersecurity Initiative, CINCI. And CINCI Initiative 11 was IT supply chain risk management, which is the concern of foreign actors having intimate access to the hardware and software within our IT supply chain. And this is the um, epitome of what that looks like. Right, a, a foreign nation state, most likely, was able to gain access to our supply chain and could compromise you know, hundreds or thousands of companies as a result and have very little footprint in doing so. Um, and when you rack and stack companies in terms of security capabilities, uh, you know, FireEye is pr pretty much at the top. You, know, you think about them as a very sophisticated organization with both FireEye and Mandiant and all the talent there, and that they were able to be compromised like about with, with an attack like this means you know, what else do the rest of us have to hope for? 
And so, you know, for me, um, we need to think differently about supply chain risk and, and, and how we address this as a nation. And it is a national issue. Um, I remember hearing remarks by General Michael Hayden, who was the director of NSA, director of CIA, knows something about these activities. And, you know, he's made a number of remarks, hopefully I'm not misattributing these thoughts to him, but around the idea that, you know, conducting espionage, a nation state conducting espionage is the norm. Responsible countries do it as a course of day-to-day -day business. And so, you know, if we were to do something like this uh, against one of our adversaries, it would be a huge intelligence victory, right? And so we're on the losing side. And so from a national security perspective, we need to figure out where we go from here. From a security perspective, we need to understand the implications that even the big guys can't stop this. And what does it mean about everybody else? Um, when FireEye released their report with all the indicators of compromise, large companies could very quickly assess if they'd been attacked. And I'll look forward to hearing what Kevin and Corey have to say, but what about the small businesses that don't have a single cyber analyst, that don't have any SIM tools, that don't, don't have threat intelligence? They can look at that report and say that's scary, but what do they do with it? Um, and so, you know, yeah. and a little bit of a soft shoe into MJ here, you know, this is this is where the ISO comes in. Information sharing helps address these big mass, mass challenges like this. Excellent, thank you. That's a great start. Um, and I'm going to directly pose that question to, to Kevin is, uh, so Kevin, what do we do? <laughs> I think that was, what, what do you do? Right? How, how do we reinstill this trust or whatever, right? Or how do you, what, what's your, what's your take there? So there's a couple of really important themes that came out of this just now. Um, I think the first is the shaming issue. Interestingly enough, I just got into a bit of a debate um, online and I had started writing a really good response to it about shaming people. There are a lot of people, let's use WhatsApp just as an example, a lot of people moving away from WhatsApp out of fear and they come online and then some person in the industry, you know, um, embarrasses them by saying, well, you do realize that everything on your phone does the same thing and why are you wasting your time and things like that. Instead of doing that as an, as an industry, we need to go, good for you for caring. Here are some other things you may want to consider to help you continue down that road of your self-preservation and privacy directly into that shaming. When people come forward and say, I don't know, my God, that's the beginning of the conversation, right? Instead of embarrassing them or making them afraid to ask that question because they don't really know the answer or they're afraid somebody's going to make them look stupid, let them ask, answer it, be polite, help them understand, don't shame them. I think it's probably the most important thing we can do. The other thing I think that's really important from the supply chain side that was raised here is if this is a state actor issue, which we believe it is now, we need to change our configurations around how we deal with insurance issues because a lot of insurance companies refuse to pay when it's a state actor attack. For example, we've seen this in other attacks last year, the year before. There may need to be some help there. And we need to realize that we have to, as a community, do exactly what you're talking about and communicate as much as we can, share openly and immediately, not sit back and kind of wonder. Um, the small business question is the big one for me. There are way more small businesses and medium-sized businesses than there are very large enterprises. And unfortunately, they have to trust the supply chain. They can't afford to have integrity checks and application reviews and all these things that these big companies are probably going to now include in their multi-billion dollar budget. So we do need to come up with better solutions for them to be able to trust what we're asking them. And we are often introducing. We're not just helping them, we're actually introducing the tools into their environment. So I think we're responsible as much as they are. 
Excellent. Excellent. Um, you know, and that's conveniently enough is <laughs> a nice transition for Corey is, you know, one of those managed services providers, right? So um, what, what, what happened to you when this kind of hit the fan? Obviously, you don't make necessarily have, you know, users on that, that system, but, um, you know, kind of a, what was this like? It was like uh, someone coughed and we caught the cold, right? <laughs> and, you know, when we sit there and, and we go down this and it's part of our industry. And, and I, I love what, what Kevin said is summertime we're introducing. And if you look at us as an MSP or an MSSP, we are introducing these tools and these things into the smaller business environments, right? And trust me, it keeps me up at night. You know, before this all happened, I had a nice full Afro, full head of hair. But, you know, if you see me now, uh, that's not happening. <laughs> Uh, but I, I say this is, you know, it, it was a, it was a, an eye opening, right? You know, these things are going on, you hear about them going on. And now this is really, really close to home and where it comes from having the opportunity to have conversations like this, to share information. When you see something, say something and, for, and stop shaming, right? That's the pieces where we need to have that conversation because everybody has a different perspective. We may see it from a certain way and we may isolate it and, and, and set it to the side pretty quick, but sometimes it needs to, to double click and go into it a little bit more, right? And that's where I think we have to get better at. We also have to get better at the suppliers who are bringing this information and these tools to us. They need to be a little bit more transparent on how they're protecting, what are they doing? If this situation happens and it is our client, where do they stand with us, right? Just like Kevin said, insurance companies, it's like, we're not going to pay for that. But what happens from a perspective is one of our tool vendors or someone brings and introduce something very similar into us. Where do we stand? Where, where is our defense, right? How does this help us? What do we need to do, right? Those are the questions that we sit down and, and think about it. I think it's changing the, the model for us on how we do business, how we interview and acquire different tools from different people, right? All those things are, are, are changing constantly, right? What we did yesterday, today is very, very different, right? And do it. I mean, for us, when it's hit, it's shot off like wildfire. It was service provider all the way through. So they just automatically throw an M in front of it. So it must be our managed service provider or our internet service provider. We all got it. So all I have been doing is sitting on the phone, talking to our clients, ensuring them, you know, hey, we don't leverage those tools, but it could happen to us. You know, we, we can't say we're 100 percent. No, because we just don't know. Like you said, we don't know the impact just yet. Right. Yeah. So we just have to sit back and, and wait. But but putting in smart things to make sure that we're ready to react and, and, and have a response for them to, to help them through the process when it's when it when when it happens, not if, but when it happens. Yeah, I think what we don't know is more scary than what we do know at this point. Totally agree, Ken. 100%. News like this doesn't tend to get better over, <laughs> over, over time. Um, so I, I'd like to pick up on a couple of the themes that, that we've gotten into and maybe starting with, you know, this, this inherent trust in the supply chain, you know, so from a 30,000 point of view, right, I'm a, as a consumer, and I want, I'm not even going to use tech, but as a consumer, I trust that my food supply chain isn't contaminated. There's no poison going in there. There's no insects coming into my house as a result of that banana, you know, whatever it might be, right? But there's some protection around that. I have that faith. I don't have the time to call Chiquita and ask, how are your bananas? I don't have the money to send in, you know, people into the farms. And so this is this, this, this very same problem, of course, that, that a lot of our frontline tech workers and, and providers are facing, right? They, it's on them, 
and yet um, we have to have this faith. So let's talk a little bit about that trust and that supply chain and, and what can we do um, in regards to, well, first to rebuilding it. I think that's a big part. I don't even know if we can answer that one yet, but, you know, but, but where are the areas where, you know, um, where people can take action maybe and, and say, Hey, if, you know, obviously we're talking, if you see something, say something, that type of thing, but just, just in how you, um, um, you know, look for a provider or, or the questions you should be asking, things like that even. Um, but how can we rebuild this faith that our networks are designed and, and operated in a, in a secure manner? I know that's a very large question. Yeah, I'll jump out there from our perspective is, you know, I'm a big sports guy, right? I, I think we really have to go back and look at the basics, right? You got to make sure that you're covering the basis of the floor. And then you want to start looking at where you need to branch out. And, and talking with other security providers out there, as well as other MSPs to understand what they're doing, how they're doing, but have an intimate, deep conversation with your vendors. What are you doing? How are you doing it? What are you doing to make sure we're secure and do it? I remember in 2019, before we hit this COVID thing and we were locked down, and the last conference I went to big time was the RSA conference. There was over 700 presenting vendors. I never got off the second row, right? I just couldn't go through it. So this is a big deal, right? And, and I was like, I don't even know how to consume it. And at that point, I was like, I don't think I'm ever coming back because I was so overwhelmed. Like, I, I don't know what to do with this. Um, but it just shows you that, you know, it's coming. But I think you have to get together with industry, you know, companies like CompTIA to have these conversations to say, here's what the fundamentals need to look like. This is the baseline stuff that you need to be doing. And here's the other things that you need to be adding on to it. And these are the guys who have bought in that are sharing that information that we can trust or even begin to have that trust conversation with. Uh, and, and I don't even know what it's going to shape up to look like, right? That, that really concerns me of what that ultimately is going to shape up to look like because of the shaming. Some people may not be saying anything and may already be compromised, but just don't know how to put it out there. Right. <laughs> just don't know what to do with yeah. that. Right. So that brings up a point of immunity. I've actually proposed this in the past and I don't want to give, what I call the slackers cover, but those that are doing a decent job of trying um, should not have to be afraid that they're going to suffer the wrath of government regulators, lawsuits, et cetera, et cetera, um, because of a nation state attack. I can tell you the one thing that scares me more than anything as a person who's responsible for helping to defend this network here and our clients is that we will likely lose in an attack um, again, by a state actor. And how are we, if, if the CIA and the NSA and FireEye, the company we would generally, one of the companies we would call in, right, if we were to ask for help, can't defend themselves, then how can we be living in fear of losing everything because we suffer an attack like this? And I really think we need to get real um, as a community and as a, as a nation that yeah, it sucks that these things happen. And yeah, there are some people, I mean, I deal with them pretty much all the time where they just didn't do a good job of even trying. But if you can show a relatively good best practice and they still get hit, I don't think they should have to fear um, that they're going to lose everything and, and that they get destroyed by something they have really no control over. Yeah, Kevin, I, I, I thoroughly support that, that line of thinking. I mean, it, I, I think it's Ohio that, that um, actually does have some type of safe harbor language in one of their laws that basically says if you subscribe to one of the following um, frameworks and you've done the work, 
then, you know, you've got a safe harbor because you're hundred percent correct. You know, there's no way that every business in this country can defend itself when our government and the largest companies can't. That's reality. And, and that's where, you know, that's why one of the key things that we're doing in the ISAs, we're giving all of our members the option for attribution or not. And, and it's, to, it's to try and get away from that cyber shaming as, as you know, as, I don't know if you said that, I know I did, but, but to your point about the stigma, you know, if, if, you know, God forbid, if something were to happen to Alvaca, I'd want you to come forward and share what happened, but I'll give you the option to say, let everybody know that this happened to Alvaca or just get it out there anonymously because people need to know about this. And I think that's one step in the right direction is to, to, you know, give an organization some control over whether or not they have to disclose, at least at the early stage. It's so vital that we know that whatever's happening is happening. It's yeah. way more important than who it's happening to at, at the early stage. And the trial yeah. lawyers are just sitting out there like sharks. Oh, yeah. Waiting for, you know, something like <laughs> this to happen. And, and they're, you know, drooling over the potential for the next class action. And I think it's a shame. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On this topic, I, you know, Miles, respectfully, I think, you know, part of your question I disagree with, which is, you know, how do we gain that trust again? I think the answer is we need to operate as if we never will have that trust again. Right. And I think, you know, one of the one of the things I like to say is cybersecurity is a sport where offense always wins and defense always loses. So if somebody has enough time and money and talent, they can get into anything. And that's not just because of digital and cybersecurity and the challenges here, but the intersections with the physical world and how how, how you can compromise things. I mean, the discussions about the riots on the Capitol and that, you know, somebody somebody in that group could have had a thumb drive that they plugged into Nancy Pelosi's computer and unplugged it and you're done. Right. So that physical digital element is, is really concerning. And so I think if we can accept the fact that we're going to lose on a cybersecurity posture regardless, it doesn't mean we should give up. It means we need to behave differently and behaving differently to me means you have X amount of resources. How do you most efficiently spend your resources to protect your network against the threats that you can? So if you have $1 or a million dollars, you can spend that effectively to try to reduce your risk. The second is the ability to find out sooner rather than later that you've lost. And that's where elements like information sharing come in. You know, as these reports came out uh, about, about what happened um, and IPs and domains were distributed, you know, we were able to search across all, all of our customers within minutes to say, hey, has this shown up on any of our customer network? And fortunately for us, the answer was no. Um, and so the ability to find out have we lost and do we need to take action is really important. And that's where the information sharing element comes in. And then the final piece is, you know, how do we make it hurt less when we lose? And, you know, I don't think that question gets asked enough, but, you know, if we were to be totally compromised, how do we reduce the pain? And that's where things like encryption and records management and all of these other mundane issues come into play. And, you know, one final thing I'll add in to see the future discussion is, you know, when we're talking about supply chain risk management here, you know, we, we, we hit an update server in this, in this environment, but what if it was a motherboard on a commonly used server or laptop? What if it was an IOT device that was deployed on these, uh, on these networks? So what if it was an open source product that everybody uses, right? And, and so I hear these debates of commercial software versus open source. There's no right answer. Like these are all supply chain, big, thorny, hairy challenges that we have no way to solve. And, I'm not a big government guy, but I think there's responsibility in our government to start to fix this. 
They passed a law this year about mandating IoT requirements for government agencies. But for commercial world, it's wide open. Like to your point, Miles, you know, you can't buy a toy from the, the, the stores, the shelves of Target with broken glass in it. I can't buy food with poison in it, but I can buy an IoT camera off the shelf of Walmart. And I, I've proven this. I can buy an IoT camera for 45 bucks off the shelf of Walmart that's communicating with China in real time. And it has a full stack, which it shouldn't. Correct. Right? So that's a lot of issues to unpack. But when you talk about supply chain risk management, this is why we haven't made progress. And this is why this smacked us in the face so hard. That, that drop, mic drop, right? That was great. <laughs> that was great. Um, you know, I, I, you touched on um, a lot of things there, of course. And, and one thing in particular that I do want to lean into, and that is kind of, you know, the, the, the role of the government in all of this. This is a national security issue. Whether or not it was the Department of Homeland Security that was infected or, you know, the, the, I don't know, Enron, <laughs> for lack of a better name, you know, but it's the, the level and depth and length and information and the sensitive data that was there. It's, this is a national security issue. And one of the things that I've, I've really um, kind of enjoyed through all of this, but not just this thing, I just made my experience in the cybersecurity world through these fast number of years is the you know, the patriotism within the, sec the security people to say, yes, we understand we're a part of this larger network that has to, to, to defend us. And so um, if we wouldn't mind, you know, just, just spending a couple of minutes of, of what type of roles do we, would we like to see? You know, if you could stand there and stomp your feet in front of uh, whichever president you want to choose, I guess, <laughs> um, you know, what, what, what would you ask for from this? You know, what kind of guidance should the government be giving industry when it comes to this? <laughs> yeah, any thoughts? Do we really want our government to take lead in in, in really doing it? <laughs> well, that's a fair question. That's a, that's a question, right? So I think that you know they have to be open, right? This is something that obviously there we know that there is really not a lot of clear guidelines like this right here on a common ground. Somebody shot, fired the first shot. This is an act of war, right? We know we have rules and guidelines for that but we have no idea of why this works from a cyber world, right? How do we go out and defend and do that? Who you call, what do you do? Who's responsible for this? Who do we go after? We don't know, right? So I think the first thing is be open and, 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 and understand that this is a real problem and put forth real effort, industry, government, whoever to come to a table, leave your egos at the door and let's sit down and work on something. It's never gonna be perfect, but we gotta go start going down to a different place, right? And of course, I don't want to suggest that there's been no action from the government around here. Of course, you know, we have the the <laughs> NIST frameworks and, and FedRAP and, and a number of other, you know, regulatory pieces that are, that are designed to help address this. But at any rate, go ahead, Kevin. So um, I think I want to lean back on Vince. I, I'm not a big government regulation guy, as you all know. Anybody who reads any of my stuff, I'm not a huge fan of them sticking their nose in. But but I do believe the point about food safety and vehicle safety and some of the things that have been the basics. So for example, in the IOT world, I'm a fan of fail safe to secure, and then you have to un, you know, make it less secure rather than having it come out as a completely open, you know, cause the layman person doesn't do, they just plug it in and turn it off. They don't update it. And, yeah. So if, if we don't make it easy for them to not be stupid or not be um, uh, as they put it in, in um, self-destructive, not stupid, but less aware, self-destructive, 
um, we need to help them not have to feel that they don't understand it. So they want to be able to plug it in and turn it on and have guidance on what to undo by choice rather than it just being open and then becoming an attack vector for everybody else in the world. Um, I also think the OT side of this thing, SCADA and, and um, ICS side of what happened with this particular event is probably what causes me the most lack of sleep at this point, because I, we have yet to see the reality of mass power outages um, and the potential for water systems that don't function properly and distribution systems that can be taken down. And frankly, you know, uh, petrochemical systems that where SCADA controls could be accessed and control the release of, of chemicals or the changing in pressures that cause explosions. I'm much more worried about that than I am some of this other stuff. Um, and I am worried about the implications of tools that are stolen, the NSA CIA hacks and Eternal Blue. We've seen multiple cases where Eternal Blue to this day, like last month, Eternal Blue is still out there causing pain in our world. So let me just say one last thing, Corey, you're right. And I, and I think I've reinforced this a lot. Get back to the basics first before you worry about the exotic. Stop trying to add really cool tools and everything over the top of your completely broken network that has, you know, from the car's perspective, no brakes, the gas is bad, you know, the tires are worn. Do your patching, put in MFA, do some basic segmentation, get a decent firewall, do the things that really will raise the bar against the actors first, and then we can worry about what we're going to do in the exotic world. Yeah, I, there's so many things I want to pick up on. I, I, God, I almost don't even know where to start. But, um, you know, the, the, God, there are just so many. It's crazy. Um, you're right. You know, absolutely. That You know, there needs to be a basic line there needs to be a, a basic standard but but you know certainly in, in the world of msps it, it, stop chasing the shiny object already um understand the landscape that you're operating within and and you know this isn't something that's going to be solved solely in private industry or in government that's why and, and i don't mean this as self-serving as it's going to sound but that that's why i and i sacks were were brought into existence was to foster the public-private partnership because we know neither one can do it on their own. And, and you know, CompTIA also participates in the IT Sector Coordinating Council, which works directly with DHS on some of this stuff. But, you know, like, like you guys have also said, I'm, I'm not a, a, a huge fan of government sticking its nose where it doesn't belong. I consider myself to be a, 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 a sort of, a, you know, I'm, I'm the guy who has no home, right? I, I consider myself fiscally and foreign policy conservative and socially progressive. So I don't know, call me whatever you want. Um, but, you know, I think back to something, an event like World War II. And in World War II, our government did spend whatever was necessary to accomplish the objective of defeating, I'll just call it evil. And we ran up horrific deficits, which is not something I'm a fan of, but we also had the capability to create a peacetime economy that erased that very, very quickly. And in this current climate, everybody's afraid to do something like that. And, and if you look at Homeland Security's budget and you look at some of the budget allocations to things like true cybersecurity, it, it, it's embarrassing. 
So, you know, just, just thinking about the government perspective, government needs to be willing to have the cojones to spend the money that needs to be spent to help change the dynamic, knowing that it will, that it will protect the economy and allow us to have the economic strength to pay for it and not bankrupt us in the process. And I, I, I'm not meaning to be in any way political about it. It's just, you know, our priorities are not set in the right direction when it comes to that. We can't, we can't expect the government to do it the way it's been trying to do it. So the government needs to be willing to change, God help us. Um, but, you know, I think if enough of us rally and, and start talking to the right people about it, maybe we can affect some positive change. But at, at a core, we need to be talking about it and we need to be sharing the information and, 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 and helping to educate all of the service providers out there because there are two, you know, as you said, Kevin, there, there are just far too many that try to inject new tools on top of really broken process. And, and, and that's, that's why we are where we are at some level. Yeah. Tools aren't going to fix it any more than a nitrous kit will make your slow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say the mix between what government can help with and what commercial world should be responsible for is, is, is cloudy. I think there are certain things the government should be responsible for that they're doing a good job of. You have the NIST cybersecurity framework, which is a pretty robust framework that's been developed to give folks a pretty good benchmark of controls that they can follow. Um, you have the CMM, the cybersecurity maturity model certification program coming out of the DOD that's based kind of roughly on the C that NIST CSF framework and 800-171 and some other stuff that's gone before that's starting to put requirements around the Department of Defense. You have the Cyberspace Solarium Commission, which was a joint, you know, nonpartisan effort to figure out ways to address cybersecurity challenges. And if you haven't, if you're interested in these national security issues and you haven't read their report, I think it was from last March, you should read it. And what was what's what's heartening to see is the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA for 2021, was just passed that included a lot of that those cyberspace solarium recommendations. And so there are there are there's progress being made. The Biden administration you know, just announced Ann Newberger from the NSA is going to come in and kind of have this deputy undersecretary position. I think that's the right term for it for cybersecurity. And they're and they're beefing up the cybersecurity staff at the national level. Um, so I think those are all, all positive things. I think, you know, some of the organizational challenges the government has is you have Cyber Command and NSA, you have FBI, you have the U.S. Secret Service, you have the Department of Homeland Security of all these organizations with talent and expertise. And how do you coordinate government? And I think that's something the, the Biden administration is hopefully paying attention to. Um, you know, the other piece here is, you know, you need a license to cut hair, you need a license to give a coronavirus vaccine, but you don't need a license to manage a firewall for a, a Fortune 500 company, right? And so that those are issues that have to be taken care of. But industry is ultimately responsible for innovation and solving these problems ourselves. And, and again, looking at the public-private partnership, which has been a good good word and a bad word over the years, you know, groups like the ISO, I think the CompTIA ISO are really important to solving this problem. You know, whether you guys like it or not, and I, and I appreciate the remarks of, of, of Kevin and Corey, you know, MSPs are responsible for this. You know, you, you can't expect your clients to care about nation state espionage or what tools they use, like that's your job. And so the other, the other message I've heard a lot on a lot of these CompTIA discussions is MSPs, if MSPs aren't thinking about security as a core part of their business, they're in a, they're in a world of hurt. And so like that's, that's a part of your business now and you're responsible for it whether you like it or not.
Yeah, I think, very, very well said. Well, and I and I want to add to that in that that I think the big challenge for many MSPs, and I've had this conversation a lot over the last six months. Um, it it kind of goes like, well, you know, I just manage their technology, and I never really did their security, and you know, it's not in my calculation, and. And, you know, if I go back to them and tell them I need more money to do these things, then they're going to say, what have you been doing for the last two years? And so it's, it's a really unfortunate dichotomy they're stuck in. And when you're stuck in a bailiwick like that, you know, it, it, you tend to go with the quiet, safe thing, which is to continue to collect the revenue instead of doing what's right. And I, I think we need to encourage everybody to step out of the box, do what's right. I agree with you 100% that if you are the service provider, meaning a fully managed provider where they don't have their own leadership responsible for IT, then you own it and you need to own it and you need to own it 100% and go back and get what you need to get it right. Because you're right, uh, I think, Vince. Um, the other thing in the government issue for me is I agree with you. The one challenge I have with CMMC um, DFARS that you raised, the Defense Federal Acquisition Regulation that came out before CMMC is that it's a government mandate and many of the contracts that we deal with, super small companies working on razor thin margins, working with very large primes who then push this obligation down but won't allow them to push the cost factors back up. And I think we need to be really clear with this. If we're gonna expect people to deal with CMMC and and other regulations that we hope to fix this problem that they have to be able to include it in their cost. Because as of right now, they can't. Absolutely. God, as this is this is excellent conversations, man. You know, you're right. Um, and I've challenged a lot of uh, MSPs and just the whole peers is you, you have to be having those conversations. And whether you want to believe it or not, you own it. At the end of the day, you own it. And, and when you take it from that perspective, I mean, you've got to have some hard conversations. You got to put your big boy pants on and you got to go sit down and you got to have those conversations because I guarantee you being on the other side after something happens, you will surely wish you did have those conversations because it's far worse and more painful to be doing it that way than it is on the other side. It's this is a great conversation, guys. I really do, um, you know, appreciate everybody's insight. And I think uh, I can simply wrap it up knowing that there's no magic bullet, right? Um, there's some things we can do to move forward. Um, I'd love to leave a message to everybody that it's going to take persistent effort. It's going to be constant vigilance. It's going to be some dedicated focus. Even then, we just kind of got to punch his chance, right? So <laughs> we got to just hang in there, man, but we can do it. Um, but to support you and to help you, I really want to, to share that CompTIA is putting its hat in this ring, man. We want to join forces and, and defend um, technology, defend who we are, right? And, and so, MJ, I'd love to, to just leave it with you to give a chance on, on how the ISAO and, and CompTIA is, is taking this challenge on. Yeah, I mean, thanks, Miles. It, it's, you know, we're, we're trying to take a very holistic approach to it and, and you know, Corey, Vince, and Kevin are all involved in different different initiatives taking place within CompTIA. And, and one of the real um, focuses we have this year is to bring it all together so that it's easy for members to understand the intersection of everything we have going on, whether it's the, you know, the, uh, the IT security community that Miles runs, whether it's the Cybersecurity Advisory Council that uh, that Kevin is a co-chair for, whether it's the CompTIA ISAO that 
that Corey and Vince are involved in, you know, whatever, whatever it is that we're doing, we're going to bring it all together to provide maximum value to the members so that the members understand everything we're trying to address. And, and Vince made a, made a hugely valuable point about the fact that it, you know, I, I joke, everybody, anyone who knows me knows I've got a sarcastic streak and my wife's a genealogical researcher. And I joke that it's harder for me to hang up a shingle and say I'm a genealogical researcher than it is for her to hang up a shingle and say she's an MSP. <laughs> I mean, that's that's an issue <laughs> that well, we have been bugging me for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's an issue that that has to be addressed. But you know, within the CompTIA ISAL, we're we're trying to spur good conversations in a trusted community about this. And our team of cyber analysts is is looking at all the threat data that's out there and putting together reports and, and, and targeted alerts around these things. And even within our research group, you know, our, our Seth and, and Carolyn, Seth Robinson and Carolyn April, two of our just stellar, stellar experts on, in our research group, they, they put together their, their CompTIA Volley podcast just last week about, you know, this very topic as well. So we've got very important and, and different perspectives on issues like this. And the key is to bring it all together and to put into the hands of the service providers, you know, clearly understandable, actionable intelligence that they can use to protect themselves and their customers. Are you going to be able to protect yourself 100% as you've heard? Absolutely not. Anybody who tells you they can, you can't run away from that person fast enough. But if we share information and we help each other be aware of what's happening and we come together, we can fight back successfully and we can push back against the bad actors and make it more difficult for them to do what they're doing. And, you know, CompTIA has a, you know, Corey said it earlier about checking the ego. I always say there's no organization better than CompTIA to get people to come together and check their business cards at the door and work to help the entire industry be better. Yeah, and and I think audience. you're seeing that right here between yeah. Corey, Vince, and Kevin, you know, just a shining example of that. And, um, and, and look, it, 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 it's gonna take time. It's gonna be iterative over time, but, you know, being a part of something like the CompTIA ISAL will definitely give you a competitive edge and an, and an ability to respond to some of the regulatory and even some of the, the, the questionnaires that are coming just from cyber insurance you know, companies now. You know, we've yeah. got to be involved in, in these initiatives to have any fighting chance of turning the tide and, and, and playing offense instead of defense because that's exactly what we need to do. And well, if you think uh, of CompTIA's uh, membership and its and its certified uh, folks in the community, it's a veritable army. I mean, really, yeah, it's a huge amount of people and power if we just get together and get it together and do it. Excellent. Well said, gentlemen. That's great. Vince, you got one, one last closer? No, I'm just excited about the agenda for CompTIA this year, the CompTIA ISAL, what, what's happening in the ECs. Um, you know, and if folks don't already know it, be vocal about expressing your needs and desires. Let us know what, what you need help with, what you want information on. This 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 is a service organization here to help you. For sure. For sure. Corey? Yeah, I mean, 
<laughs> let's let's get together. Let's make it happen, man. You know, you know, obviously there's no silver bullet. There's no right or wrong answer to that. But get engaged, get involved. Don't sit on the bench. Let's let's go make it happen. Excellent. All right. So I'll leave you with that. Thank you. Um, please do. If you enjoyed this uh, podcast, subscribe. There's more great stuff coming. Um, take a look at CompTIA.org. Check out the ISIL. Check out the communities. Talk to somebody. They'll, they'll open the big accordion file that is CompTIA and share so much with you. But please join us. And, and we, we look forward to having a, a, a good defense against this. So and we found who to blame, right? If I heard it all, we we're blaming the government. I, I think that's how <laughs> on this. So great go. job. <laughs> I mean, I'm blaming my puppy who made me turn away for a while when he there was uh, trying to eat my green screen. All right. <laughs> all right thank you, everybody. All right, thanks, everybody. Thank you thanks for tuning in to this episode of the CompTIA BizTech Podcast. For more information on CompTIA membership, communities, and councils, visit comptia.org slash membership. If you enjoyed this podcast, the greatest compliment you can give us is subscribing, sharing, and liking the broadcast.